was created by God, for God, for the glory of God. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, the Apostle Paul writes that even in the mundane things of life, even in the most basic things that you do, he writes, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Amen? Do it all for the glory of God. If you're a good student or an average student or a bad student, if you're a good athlete, if you're a great state qualifier in fine arts, uh, whatever you do, if you're just, just an average normal person, you go to work, you, you take care of your family, nobody knows who you are, you're just a normal, everyday, good American, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. Today I want us to consider from the Word of God, what, what is the glory of God? We often, when I was a student minister, if I could get anything in my, my students' heads, I wanted them to get this, that God made them that he made them for himself only, not for our own selves or anyone else, and that he made them to show his glory through their lives. Let's face it, we don't have self-esteem issues if we recognize that we were created for God's glory, do we? We, we don't have B-team issues or our team was terrible issues. We, we don't have the highs, the real the excruciating highs and the real deep lows if we recognize that we were created by God and for God and for his glory. And if you don't get anything else into the mind and into the soul and into the life of your kids, get into them as best you can through prayer, through participation in the church, especially from the word of God, ingrain in your kids and in your grandkids that they were created by God and for God and for his glory. Really, all of creation exists for the glory of God. The literal reading of Colossians 1.16 that I've paraphrased, and I don't know who gave it to me 30 years ago, the paraphrase that we said out loud earlier, the literal translation, the literal reading is, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. In Psalm 19.1, we started our service with that verse. This, the, uh, David, King David writes, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. i got to tell you how that verse came to life in me. I took an astronomy class in college at Oklahoma Baptist University as, a, as one of my science credits. It was in the summer term, and I thought it was going to be easy. It was not easy. Astronomy professors are some of the smartest people on the campus. And so we're studying one day, and we're talking about the distance in space. And it's like 93 million miles, right, from the Earth to the sun. And from the Earth, and, and that's one astronomical unit. And, and, but from the Earth to, Pl to a Pluto, it's 24 astronomical units. So I said to the professor, I raised my hand, and I said, so is it 24 times 93 million miles? And he goes, no, it's not 93 million miles times 24 to Pluto, it's 24 astronomical units. And I said, that's the distance from the earth to the sun. He said, yes. And I said, that's 93 million miles. And he said, yes. I said, how come it's not 24 times 93 million? He said, because it's not. <laughs> he said, space is too big to start doing multiplication. It's just this far from the earth to the sun, and it's 24 this far as to Pluto. And I said, I raised my hand again, and I said, Prof, 
You think God created all of that out there so people that were too smart would have something to do until they died? <laughs> he said, uh, Mr. Carter, I said, yes, sir. He said, see me after class. <laughs> Who gets in trouble in college? After class, the professor said to me, young man, have you ever read the word of God? And I said, uh, this ain't going to be good. So yes, sir, I have. He said, David wrote, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Now think about that for a second. All of creation exists for the glory of God. God has revealed his glory in the heavens. And by the way, in those babies too, when they get here, right? You ever think you're ready for the birth of that baby, your first child, or your second, or your third, or whatever, or your first grandchild, and then they get here and you're just blown away? You can't put into words the joy of, of that child in your life, can you? Let me tell you about a star that I learned from that same professor. I call it Beetlejuice. I don't know how you say it. It's not spelled Beetlejuice. And by the way, don't say it three times in church this morning. If you look into the night sky, Orion constellation is the most obvious across the equatorial direction from every place on earth. And to the right of Orion is the star Betelgeuse. And listen to the, to the facts of the star Betelgeuse. It's twice its size, it's twice the size of the earth's orbit around the sun. Now it takes us 365 days to go around the sun, right? The, the, the size of Betelgeuse is twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun. It is so far away that it takes 300 light years. And remember from your physical science class in middle school, light travels at 186,000 miles per second. You remember that? It takes 300 light years for the light from Betelgeuse to get to the Earth. But that star is only one of billions that declare the glory of God. Amen? It's only one. It's only one. God has certainly declared his glory in the heavens. He didn't just declare his glory in creation, but he revealed his glory in the garden. Before we get to the major um, text from Exodus 33 and 34, think back to Genesis 3 and verse 8. After they had sinned, you remember that? The devil started tempting Eve and by the way, it says she turned to her husband who was with her, and he ate as well. He was there. And even before sin, women were doing all the talking, right? I mean, it's there. It's in, it's in the Word of God. I didn't make that up. And after they had sinned, do you remember? They hid in the garden from the presence of God. Do you remember that? God was walking. They heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, God used to manifest himself before sin in the garden in the evening to Adam and Eve. His presence, the, the throne of the universe wasn't vacated, but the glory of God, the presence of God would meet with them in the garden in the cool of the evening, and they had face-to-face -face fellowship with him. Now, it's not a biblical word, but I want to remind you of a word you've probably heard. It's not in the Bible, but, but scholars and commentators and, and, and preachers have used the word to describe the glory of God in the garden with this word, the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God. Have you heard of that? It's different than Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, Shaka. It's different than that. 
It's different than that. It's the Shekinah glory of God. Now, the word Shekinah simply means dwelling. Some people would call it the manifest presence of God. Some would call it the dwelling presence of God. He's still on the throne room of the universe, but his presence is here with his people. In fact, before sin with Adam and Eve, it was there with them every evening, we get the sense, in the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve. And his dwelling presence, his, his Shekinah glory, what does that mean? Go to Exodus 33 and verse 19. We're going to come back to 33 a few times. Go to Exodus 33 and verse 19. This is the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God. What does it mean as God revealed his glory in the garden? What does it mean that the Shekinah glory of God would manifest itself, would dwell, would dwell on the earth with men? Verse 19 in Exodus 33. We'll say more about this in a minute, but He's about to let Moses see the back of his glory, not the fullness of it. And notice what he says about that, verse 19, describing his own glory, his Shekinah glory. He says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord. It's all caps if you look in your Bible, which means it's Yahweh. It's the Tetragrammaton. It's the name of God that devout Hebrews, Orthodox Hebrews, and even Reformed Hebrews will not say out loud when they read the word of God. It's Yahweh. You see all caps there in your Bible. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, Yahweh, in your presence. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And then flip the page over to Exodus 34, if you would. We're looking at what is the manifest glory of God according to the word of God. What is the, good job, guys, thanks. What is the, in Exodus 34, verses 6 through 8, what is the dwelling presence of God? The glory of God. If the heavens declare his glory, if I'm to eat and drink and whatever I do, I'm to give glory to God. If I was created by him and for him and for his glory, what does that mean? Exodus 34, verses 6 through 8. Here's another place describing. He passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, that's God, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands of generations, in other words, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And watch this. Verse 8, Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. By by the way, when the glory of God shows up, the appropriate response is worship. Amen? Have you ever been in a worship service and you felt the anointing of God, but looking back you go, well, that may have just been a gifted man of God leading in worship or gifted man of God bringing the word. Have you felt that before? It felt like the Shekinah glory of God in a sense and an anointing, but it was really a gifted man of God using his gifts. And there's nothing wrong with that, is there? God gifts men and women with, with gifts to use to edify the body, right? Sometimes you've been in a worship service and, and, and the crowd has been responsive. The band was pretty good and the preaching was pretty good, but boy, the crowd, listen, the crowd was just into it. Their hearts were ready. And the the worship leader said, lift your hands. They lifted their hands. He said, sing, and they sang. He began to have emotion and cry, and the crowd just responded. And the preacher gets up there and just preaches the word, and the crowd is ready to receive and then ready to go and do it. You've been in those kinds of services, right? And we would see and sense and feel a, a, a sense of the anointing of God because the crowd was ready. Men of God were ready, the crowd was ready, but watch this. Have you ever been in a place of worship 
and the goodness and the mercy and the long-suffering and the faithfulness and the justice and the forgiveness of Shekinah glory, God shows up, and you know you've been in the presence of God, amen? Have you been there before? Don't we long for that experience? We long for men of God to be gifted and prepared and ready to go. And we ought to long as a church body to be ready to receive what God's given us. And when we put ourselves in a position for that to happen, the Bible speaks to us that the Shekinah glory of God desires to show up every time. Now it's a fearful thing as we'll see in a minute. But make no mistake that the Shekinah glory of God is not just the powerful light that we'll see in a minute that he had to hide Moses from, but it's the attributes of Almighty God that he unfolds to his children in redemptive history. And when he shows up in his dwelling Shekinah presence, he shows up as himself with all that he is to encounter his creation. Catch something else about God's revealed glory in the garden. Did you notice that they hid? Unconfessed sin will always make you want to hide from the glory of God, won't it? Unconfessed sin will always make you uncomfortable in the presence of God. By the way, they didn't have to hide for long, did they? Because the second thing is true, too. It'll, it'll get you banished from the glory of God as well. They got banished from the creation of God, the revelation of the glory of God in the garden. They got banished because of their sin. And what does Romans 3.23 tell us? For all have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. So God has revealed his glory in the heavens, and we ignored it. He revealed his glory in the garden, and we decided it wasn't good enough. But third, he reveals his glory in the face of a man. Go to Exodus 33, first of all. In Exodus chapter 33, you remember the, you remember the story, you remember the narrative. So they're out there in the wilderness, and God says, I'm going to lead you that direction. And Moses said, God, I would rather stay uh, in the wilderness with two, three million people with no running water and no plumbing and, you know, manna burgers and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, I'd rather stay out here than go into the promised land if you don't go with us. You remember that story? In, in verse 15, notice he says very directly to God, he says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. And God responds that, that I'll indeed go with you, Moses, and with the people. And then verse, notice verse 18. It's the same word in the Hebrew text. Then Moses says, now show me your glory. <laughs> God, you're going to go with us. Yeah, I'll go with you. And Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, oh, wait a minute. You can't handle my glory. God, in a sense, is saying, Moses, if the fullness of my glory came to you, you would explode from existence. My glory is too much. My glory is too rich. My, the light of my glory as my attributes uh, explode into the human existence will, will incinerate you. You'll, you'll disappear. But I tell you what, Moses, you're a faithful man of God. I'm going to hide you in a little cave in the rock. And it's an anthropomorphism. God doesn't have a hand. But the scripture says that God says, I'll cover you with my hand and I'll pass by and I'll let you just get a little bit of my afterglow when I pass by. You remember that? And God passed by. And he covered Moses in the cleft of the rock, and Moses got a glimpse of his glory, and it blew him away. It blew him away. Now look at Exodus chapter 34. When Moses, verse 29, Exodus 34, in verse 29, so he gets a glimpse of the glory of God, the backside, so to speak, of the glory of God, a veiled 
piece of the glory of God. And then in Exodus 34, uh, in verse 29, it says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, the Ten Commandments, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. He gets a glimpse of the glory of God and just a piece of the afterglow of the glory of God, and it changes his countenance. It changes his face. He begins to radiate the glory of God. And notice if you look down in the text, Aaron and all of God's people are a little freaked out by this, aren't they? They're like, he's been with God. We can see it on his face, but Moses didn't know it. And you remember, you remember the people had him put a veil over the glory of God because they couldn't handle the glory of God coming off of their leader. And if you remember the story, you know that Moses would come and go from the presence of God and he would replenish the glory, so to speak. And it replenished the glory in his countenance from having been with God. God showed his glory in the heavens in creation. He's revealed his glory in the garden. And he's even revealed his glory in the face of a man. And we didn't like that either. Now think about the tabernacle. How many of you have ever done a study on the tabernacle in the Old Testament? Anybody? We sort of get the glimpse that it's this big, beautiful worship structure, but it was made out of badger skin. It probably turned black as soon as it got out into the weather. The outside of the tabernacle was not a beautiful thing. The, the beauty was on the inside, right? The human beauty and the spiritual beauty was on the inside of the tabernacle. But go to Exodus 40 with me while you're still in Exodus. Exodus 40, we'll look at verses 34 to 38. Exodus 40, verses 34 to 38. You remember the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God, by the time they're in the wilderness? How many of you have seen the Ten Commandments on TV, the old one? Remember the cloud by day and the fire by night? That's the presence of God in the center of his people in the wilderness. Cloud by day at the tabernacle, fire by night. And they wouldn't move until the cloud or the fire moved, and then it would immediately pack up. And they had a whole system for packing it up. The, the, the Levites and their, their helpers were the first uh, NASCAR pit crew. Because if God starts to move, you got to tear that stuff down quick and get it ready to roll and, and get where God is, in other words. Look at Exodus 40, starting in verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now listen to this. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it. And listen to this. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. He couldn't get in because of the glory of the Lord. Verse 36. And all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel during all of their travels. Now watch this. Two to three million people, based upon their tribe, the 12 tribes, would, had their assigned spot around the tabernacle. And in the middle of that, that, that uh, gathering of God's people, encampment, was the tabernacle, and in the Holy of Holies was the glory of God. Manifest cloud by day, fire by night. Now watch this. He revealed himself to them every day in the wanderings in the wilderness for 40 years. But they got so used to his glory, when the man of God said, if you're comfortable, lift your hands to the Lord, they just kind of, yeah, whatever, I saw him yesterday. When the man of God opened the scrolls of the word of God and began to proclaim the word of God, they dozed off or looked at whatever product Apple made in the ancient world. I don't know what they made. 
They have God and the glory of God and the tabernacle of God every day in their midst for 40 years, but they fall into the curse of familiarity so far that they take his presence for granted, and eventually they don't even notice that he's there. They don't even notice that he's there, but God doesn't give up on his people. He revealed his glory again in the temple that Solomon built, and listen to this. When Solomon dedicates the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verses 10 through 13, listen to what it says. Solomon, it's not a tabernacle of badger skins that turn black and look kind of ugly. This is a glory, the most glorious temple that's ever existed on the face of the earth, inside and out. Listen to 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 to 13. It says this, as God reveals his glory in the temple in Jerusalem. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Then Solomon says, the Lord, there it is again, Yahweh, has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. And if you read about the, the temple that Solomon built, what a beautiful structure, what a magnificent place to encounter God that must have been. But eventually we get into the timeline of Solomon's reign, and watch this, we get to 2 Chronicles chapter 9, and the wisdom and the riches and the peace and the things of God have slowly crumbled, and they've turned into idolatry, and they've turned into witchcraft, and he's got hundreds and hundreds of wives, and, and there's chaos, and there's war, and the Queen of Sheba shows up in 2 Chronicles 9, and she sees the house of worship dedicated to the glory of God, and guess who she glorifies? Solomon. Solomon. God forbid that in this place that the, that the glorious Shekinah glory of God is built, that any of us would ever give anybody credit, not our great pastor, not our great worship leader, not the leaders of this church. God forbid that we ever give anybody glory in this place but the Shekinah glory of God, amen? God forbid. But the Queen of Sheba, as God revealed his glory in the temple of Solomon, gives praise to Solomon instead of praise to God. So we have the glory of God revealed in his creation and in the Garden of Eden, the face of Moses in the tabernacle, in the temple at Jerusalem. And I want to tell you something else, just a little side note. One of these days, according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, God's going to put out the lights in the heaven, the stars and the sun. He's going to blot out the reflection from the moon. He's going to blacken out this universe. And if you want to, you want to think about the future, the Shekinah glory of God is going to come in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus, on a white horse, and he's going to explode into this universe. And he's going to defeat the kings of this earth, and he's going to defeat the devil once and for all. And watch this. 200 million believers are going to be with him. We're going to be dressed up in armor, but we're going to be the best-dressed cheerleaders of all time. Because the Word of God says the sword of his mouth is going to destroy the people and the kings of this earth. That's coming one of these days. That's coming. And as Paxton often says, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he's king of kings and lord of lords. Well, let's finish with this. We also have the glory of God revealed in the souls and lives and bodies of his children. Would you go to John chapter 1? John chapter 1 and verse 14. You're pretty familiar with this. Remember we said earlier Shekinah, which is an extra biblical word. It's a scholarly word. It's not in the text, but its truth is in the text. Remember we said it means dwelling, dwelling presence, the attributes of God. John 1, 14, 
The Apostle John, inspired of the Holy Spirit, writes, And the Word became flesh and made His what? Made His dwelling among us. So notice what he says. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Here's a great, uh, there's some great Greek grammar here I want to share with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16. You ready? It says, don't you know that y'all are God's temple? It's plural. You yourselves, the NIV says. Don't you know that y'all are God's temple? And that God's spirit lives in y'all. Don't you know that? Y'all, come on. Y'all are God's temple and God's spirit lives in y'all. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and y'all are that temple. Go to 1 Corinthians 6. We're winding down now. You can feel it. 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, I want to finish with this. The Greek word for temple right there is naos. There's another Greek word in the text. Naos talks about the holy of holies. So you had the tabernacle, and then you have the temple, and you got the entrance proper into it, and you got the court of Gentiles and the court of women and devout Hebrew men who are following their vows and everything that they're supposed to do. And inside you got that, and inside that you got the holy place where the priest gets ready. He gets cleaned up, and there's daily, there's daily ministry in the holy place to God and for God and about on behalf of the people. And then inside the holy place is the holy of holies. And only the high priest of God can go in there. He can only go in there once a year. Now watch this. The word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 6 to say that you singularly, not the y'all part, but the singular part, you singular are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? That's the same word that's used to describe the holy of holies in the Old Testament where once a year, the fullness of the Shekinah glory of God would come down to the mercy seat. You know what the Ark of the Covenant looks like, right? Have you seen Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Have you seen that? Remember the Nazis opened that thing? I was talking to a buddy at work this week in my secular job. I said, yeah, that's uh, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Dune where he's going to take Indy's heart out. You remember that? I go, no, 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 that's not it. He goes, yeah, it is the little Chinese kid. I said, I know, I know. It's the Chinese kid. Cover your heart, Indy. Cover your heart. Remember that? <laughs> remember that? Data from the Goonies. Remember that actor? It's not that Indiana Jones. It's the first one. <laughs> and you remember the Ark of the Covenant, how beautiful it was and inlaid, and you had the cherubim and gold guarding the presence of God on the mercy seat. God would come once a year, and the high priest would cry out for the sins of his people, and they would worship to God together in his fullness, Shekinah glory. You ready for this? The word Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, naos, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, is the same word that when they translated Hebrew into Greek, they used to describe the Holy of Holies for the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant, where the Shekinah glory of God came. Listen, you are indwelt with the fullness of the Shekinah glory of God because you gave your life to Jesus and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? And we have one point of application today, and that's this. Through all of these multiple verses that we've been through, we have one point of application today. You and I, if we've given our lives to Christ, 
we, not, what Beetlejuice and uh, Orion and the heavens declare, and what we saw in the garden and in the face of Moses and in the cleft of the rock and in the tabernacle and the temple and all of that, the fullness of the Shekinah glory of God, if you've given your life to Christ, resides in you and resides in me. And our point of application is this. All we have to do is walk in what already belongs to us through Jesus. All we have to do is walk in him. He's already given it to us. We were bought with the price, the blood of the Lamb of God. We were bought with the price, his sacrifice on the cross. If we've given our lives to him, all we have to do is live in, is walk in, is keep in step with what is already ours through the sacrifice of Almighty God, through his Son, the Lord Jesus, in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. All we have to do is walk in him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the Shekinah glory of God. Father, the attributes of God that the mercy and the goodness and the faithfulness and the long-suffering and, and the forgiveness and the justice and the holiness and all that the men and women of God saw outwardly in the Old Testament. God, we're thankful for those narratives and for those testimonies and for those examples. But God, they're not just stories, but that those are the realities in the life and heart and mind and body of believers today through your Holy Spirit. And God, we thank you and praise you for the Shekinah glory of God. You reveal your glory in the heavens. They declare your glory. But God, we get to walk in the glory of God every day. Father, may we never take for granted the glory of God in our lives. God, may we never say, I'm having a bad day. May we say, God, the Shekinah glory of God lives in me and, and, and I will walk in him. Father, if there's somebody here today who can't get excited about the Shekinah glory of God, God, maybe you're working in their heart that they just don't know you as Savior. They've heard the stories of you. But God, in a group this size, maybe there's someone here who's never turned from their sin and put their faith and trust and surrendered to the King of kings and Lord of lords. God, they, may they do that today. And Father, no doubt in a group this size, there's some of us who became like the children in the wilderness, the children of Israel in the wilderness. We've just gotten so familiar, just cursed with the familiarity of the things of God, coming from a man of God and in preaching and in worship and in a body that's come together for the glory of God. Father, maybe there's someone in here today who's just gotten too used to and taken for granted the glory of God. I pray that those of us like that would repent today, that we would repent today, God, and encounter your glory again fresh and new. Father, there may be some folks here today in the presence of Almighty God who recognize they just need some help, they need some counsel, they need some prayer. God, if there are folks who need to get saved, if there are folks who need to renew their commitment to you, God, if there are folks who just need to be prayed over for, for physical healing or relationship healing, God, if there's folks that need wisdom and counsel, I pray during this time of invitation they would step out and let these men and women of God speak into them and pray over them today. God, we don't deserve your glory. We don't deserve the Lord Jesus. We don't deserve the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. But God, you don't give us what you de we deserve. You give us what we need through Jesus by your grace, and we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name.